For years it was considered impossible. But then on a windy day in May of 1954, what had been worked for for decades and centuries, perhaps even at was finally achieved. It almost wasn't. A medical student who ran in his spare time, but had gone through medical school, worked at the, doing basically the equivalency of his residency, and would squeeze in times here or there to run, decided to run in a meet in England that May. And Roger Bannister broke a four-minute mile that day. Roger Bannister just died just last year, actually. And his record only lasted for several months, but he was the first one on record to achieve what many had thought was impossible because it had eluded people for so long. They had made it to uh, four minute and one second, four minute, two second, but they had never made it below four minutes in running a mile. And as he came to the third lap, He was one second behind, which meant he needed not only to run the last lap, the last quarter of a mile, in under a minute, but he had to shave off a second as well to make it under that four-minute mark. And as the announcer announced, he drew it out because everybody knew what he was attempting to achieve. And he said, a new record for this county and this country and the world has been achieved, but they still didn't know what it was. And when he announced that he had run in a, when he said three, nothing else was heard. Because they knew he had finally broken, or not he, but that humanity had finally broken that four-minute record. Lots of things have seemed impossible, but have been accomplished. But have you ever felt like you've been asked an impossible task? In some ways, the book of Leviticus is about an impossible task. We read it in our scripture reading. Leviticus chapter 19, and this thought is repeated multiple times in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and verse 2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Does that sound like an impossible task? You shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. When we look at the book of Leviticus, 
Leviticus reveals, perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, Leviticus reveals the holiness of God. Genesis reveals a God that is a God of beginnings and of new beginnings. Exodus reveals the path out of slavery. The literal slavery that the children of Israel left and the spiritual slavery that God wants to lead each of us out of as well. But in the book of Leviticus, every single chapter virtually is talking about the holiness of God. The word holy or holiness is used over 90 times in the book of Leviticus, almost double any other book in the Bible. And then there are a number of other related words. Unclean is used four times in Leviticus, four times more in Leviticus than any other book. Cleanse or clean is used over 70 times in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is talking about the holiness of God and the cleansing of an unclean people. Or putting it another way, Leviticus is about calling a, ho- a, a holy God, calling an unpeople, unholy people to be holy. Let's look at some of the things that Leviticus mentions is holy. Let's go to Leviticus. This is not the first. This is, I'm not looking at everything. We're not looking at all 90 verses. That would be way too much. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 9. Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 9. Now, the book of Exodus deals with the exodus of the children of Israel out of slavery, but then it also deals with the sanctuary, the construction of the sanctuary. Leviticus is dealing more with the ceremonies of the sanctuary. But notice Leviticus chapter 8 verse 9. And he put the turban on his head. And also on the turban, on its front, he put the golden plate. And then notice what it says. The holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. As the priest put on this turban, there was a golden plate on it, and the Bible calls it a holy crown. Now, what did this golden plate say? Exodus tells us what it says, holiness to the Lord. And this holy crown was placed upon the high priest, and whenever someone looked upon the high priest, they were to see that holy crown, that golden plate with the letters inscribing holiness to the Lord. We see holy garments in Leviticus chapter 16, we see that they were not to eat of the fruit of the land until the fourth year. Of the fourth year, actually, they weren't to eat of it. It was holy to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 3. If you want to turn there. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 3. Notice what is described as holy here. I will set my face against that man and I will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my, what does it say? Holy name. 
We see in chapter 21, the priests were to be holy. In chapter 23, verse 2, we have the entirety of chapter 23 is talking about the convocations, the meeting times when the children of Israel were to gather. Verse 2 here, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which thou shalt proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Then turn to Leviticus chapter 27. The Sabbath is one of those holy convocations. By the way, what is a holy convocation? That's when we come together, isn't it? It's to be a time that we come together to think about the holiness of the Lord. Leviticus ends with holiness as well. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. Notice what it says. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is, what does it say? Holy to the Lord. Throughout Leviticus, we see this is holy and this is holy and this is holy. And then we have in the heart of it, it says, be ye holy. Leviticus reveals how to approach a holy God. But there's a problem. How do an unholy people approach a holy God? God had led them out of slavery. But even though they were delivered from Egyptian slavery, did that mean that they were a holy people? No. They were still an unholy people. And how were they to come into and to worship a holy God? I really wish it was, I wish I had the screen up right now because what I'm going to try to describe is a little, it'd be much easier to see visually. Sometimes when we look at a form, I should say, a form of biblical literature is sometimes referred to as a chiastic structure. Now, a chiastic structure is a big word that we never use and nobody really cares that much about, but it can help us see a little bit, understand it a little bit more of the emphasis. Chiastic comes from the Greek letter X and In an X, what do you have? You have, I say it's X. It's actually not an X, but anyway, it looks like an X. (laughs) And so you have two cross parts, don't you? And the focus is where? In the very center where they meet. And a chiastic structure is like that. The focus is in the center where it meets. And so as I was have been looking this week at the book of Leviticus, I believe that there is a chiastic structure that is pointing out the focus of how we can... The theme is the holiness of God. But there is a focus of how an unholy people can approach a holy God and how a holy God can make an unholy people holy. In the first seven chapters of Leviticus, we see the holy services or the holy sacrifices. 
In Leviticus 8 to 10, we see the holy priests, and it describes what they're to be. In verse, in chapters 11 to 15, we see instructions for how the congregation is to be holy. And then we come to what I believe is the central focus of the entirety of Leviticus as it reveals how an unholy people can approach a holy God. And that is the holy sanctuary and the cleansing of that holy sanctuary in Leviticus chapter 16. Now then it goes backwards. Remember I said there was an X. And so then it goes backwards from how it did before. It goes to the holy congregation, to the holy priest, to the holy services. And so it makes somewhat of a, if you're looking at it kind of like that, and the point is right at that point in the X. Turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Because if that's the structure of Leviticus, Leviticus 16 is the key for how a unholy people can worship and approach a holy God. And when we look at Leviticus 16, we see a very solemn service, the most solemn service of the year. Notice verse 16 of Leviticus 16. Now, Leviticus 16 does use the term holy, but it also uses more commonly here unclean and cleanse. Leviticus 16, 16. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And because of their transgressions for all their sins, so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Is there an unclean people here? There is, isn't there? It says that because he's going to make atonement, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions and their sins, and for the tabernacle of meeting, which is in the midst of their uncleanness. We have the problem of an unclean or an unholy people here, right? But we also have the solution. Go to verse 33. Actually, we'll read 30 and 33. Verse 30, and on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to, what does it say? To cleanse you, that you may be, what does he say? Clean from all your sins before the Lord. Notice verse 16, God is saying, there's this atonement that I have to make because of all your uncleanness, and you've even defiled my sanctuary, which is in the midst of your uncleanness. And then we come to the conclusion of this, and he says, the priest shall cleanse you. No longer are they described as being unclean. They're described as being clean. Verse 33, then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make, uh, he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. Now we refer to this as the cleansing of the sanctuary or of the day of atonement, and we connect it to Daniel 8.14, and we should. I'm not doing that today. I just want to focus on what is it 
that makes allows an unholy people to worship a holy God. It's the atonement that is made through a holy sacrifice. If you're unclean physically, you need something from without to make you clean, don't you? If we're unclean, we need something to clean us. We're worshiping a holy God, but we're unholy. We're unclean. And so God has provided a sacrifice that meets that need and that can change our lives. Turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. I want to notice what one of the first descriptions of Jesus is. Luke chapter 1. Verse 35. Now I should say one of the first descriptions regarding his incarnation in earthly life. Luke 1.35 And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, what does it say? That Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is the Holy Sacrifice that can make an unholy people, holy. And Leviticus is calling to that experience. And there's a lot of what they're to do and what they're not to do. It's actually very interesting. We're familiar with unclean meat and the directions given there, but many times we don't recognize the reason that God says why he gave unclean meat. In Leviticus 11, he goes through the description and we normally stop after we read about the pork and the fish and the birds and all of that. We generally don't read about what are the clean insects and the unclean insects. (laughs) But after you get all through that, it comes and it says, you shall not eat the unclean, but the clean, because you are to be a holy people. All of the directions given. The more, let's look at another example of that. Let's go to Leviticus chapter uh, 20. Leviticus 20, verses 7 and 8. God's call throughout Leviticus, the call of a holy God to an unholy people to accept His holiness. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be, what does it say? Holy. 
for I am the Lord your God. And you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you or who makes you holy. God calls us. He gives us these directions because he is holy and he wants to come. He wants to change us and make us holy that we can come into fellowship with a holy God. But it's only through the Holy One. It's only through the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we look at Leviticus 16 and understand it in its broader context of the ministry of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary as well. Today we are called to partake, as Hebrews chapter 12 verse 10 says, partake of His holiness. It's impossible, but it's possible through Jesus. We cannot make ourselves holy. We cannot become holy. We cannot approach a holy God. But that holy one that came into this world as a baby and gave his life as a sacrifice for us and is ministering for us even now, he can bridge the gap And He can make us holy. Now there's one other very interesting aspect I want to look at at Leviticus. Because in the book of Leviticus we find something that is most holy. Now normally when we see most holy we think of the sanctuary, don't we? But actually while the most holy place is cleansed in the book of Leviticus... The most holy place is not referred to as the most holy place in the book of Leviticus. There's something else that is referred to as most holy in Leviticus. And the way we, at least the New King James, translates it most holy. The Hebrew says holy of holies. It's just emphatic. It's holy of holies. And what is it? It's consistent in the book of Leviticus. What is holy of holies? Let's go to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 12. And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eliezer and to Ithamar, his sons who were left, Take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is, what does it say? Most holy. It is holy of holies. The grain offering was to be eaten by the priest, not anywhere. Here it was to be eaten By the altar. Because it was holy of holies. Now you go down a little bit further. And there's something else that is holy of holies here. The trespass and the sin offering. Were holy of holies as well. 
The grain offering was considered a most holy, holy of holies. The trespass and the sin offering was considered most holy, holy of holies. And in Leviticus, those two things are the holy of holies, and that means that they could not be eaten outside. The priest received the sacrifices of the peace offering and the burnt offering, and they received various things, and they could eat them outside. But the sin offering and the grain offering was eaten in a holy place beside the altar, it says here, for the grain offering. Now, why were those most holy? I still need to think and pray about it some more. But as I was going over this, both of all of those represent Jesus and his sacrifice. Now, there are other sacrifices that represent Jesus as well that were not called most holy here. But these were called most holy. A grain offering and a sin offering. It brought my mind to the communion service. As the priest in a holy place partook of the sacrifices representing Jesus. And it was most holy. We come and we don't eat a normal meal as we partake of the communion service. We come and have a partake in something similar to the grain offering in the bread and something similar to the sin offering. His, the grape juice which represented his blood which was for the shed for the remission of sins. We partake of that as the priests partook of these sacrifices in a holy place. As we come to worship the Lord and to receive these symbols representing the holiness of God, it is as we receive His forgiveness, accept His sacrifice for us, that he washes away our sins, right? But as we eat of it, it becomes a part of us, doesn't it? We say, you are what you eat, right? It becomes a part of you. As we come and as we partake of these symbols representing Jesus' life and death, His experience is to become a part of us, isn't it? The Holy One. And as we receive Him by faith, it's most holy. It's holy of holies. God makes the impossible possible, doesn't He? I doubt any of us will run a below four-minute mile. I never have, and I'm sure I never will, on this earth at least. But God wants to do something even more amazing.
something more, even more impossible. A holy God wants to make an unholy people holy. And Leviticus is about the call of a holy God to the unholy people to receive, to partake of his holiness. It's only possible through the sacrifice of Jesus. But may we ingest and receive his sacrifice. May his life become our life. That we might receive the holiness of God.